Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Boredom Breaker podcast, where we only learned our ABCs in order to do algebra, and we only learned our shapes in order to do geometry. And speaking of mathematics, our quote this week comes from the mathematician of Cambridge University, John C. Lennox, and he says, If we take our faith in the Lord seriously, we will do the work with joy. So mathematics and joy. I find joy in philosophy. I find joy in history, theology. I find joy in a lot of things. I can't say that I necessarily find joy in mathematics, but John Lennox says when it comes to our faith, it should always be uh, in joy. So um, Tanner, why don't you introduce our topic for the week? Well, that's that's just it. We're going to be this week. We're going to be talking about joy. Um, you know what it is, how how we perceive it, um, how we can live it, um, how how we'll think it, which is what we're going to get into in a little bit. Um, but Jeremy, I'm curious for you what what to you is the difference between happiness and joy? You know that I think it's. I'll have to be honest and say that I always give a cliche answer to that question because I try to make joy more um, more theological and I try to make happiness emotional. Uh, and whether that's right or wrong, I think it's kind of a cop-out. I'll be, I'll be honest about myself. I think it's a cop-out to say, well, only real Christians can experience true joy or only, you know, you can only find true, true joy in knowing Christ. Well, anybody can have happiness. Anybody and and happiness is fleeting. Happiness is circumstantial, but joy is eternal. Joy is lasting. So, um, and maybe maybe those are true answers. But you know, I, I also as a, as a generally optimistic person, I think there maybe just me saying it. I think I almost say it in a in a um, um, a ungenuine way, like almost a phony way, like. True joy is lasting, and happiness is only temporal. So eh, it is what it is, but to me, at least, it makes sense logically. Uh, what about you? How would you answer that? I'd, I'd actually agree to to a point, but I'd, I'd sum it up as like happiness. Happiness is more feeling; that's more mental. You know, it's 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 chemical reactions, whereas joy is a state of your heart. Okay. Okay, that's good. Um, Anything else on that? I, I really don't have a lot to go on here. Um, uh, normally, I would toss it over to Ian also. Ian is not able to join us tonight, but that's okay because we miss him, but Tanner wasn't able to join us last week, so it's only fair to balance it out a little bit. And yeah. One of these days, the other guys are just going to get rid of me. <laughs> just for a week. Yeah. And I just I guess that being said, I want to thank our listeners for continuing to listen to us. It's a joy having you here with us. Uh, so thank you for being a part of our boredom breaking so Tanner, I guess to, to move on before I, I know we have kind of a a book that we can discuss together, but I want to share another quote first before we dive into another book or deeper into the topic. Okay. And this quote is from Rebecca Manley Pippert in her uh, her book Out of the Salt Shaker and Into the World: Evangelism as a Way of Life. And just basically, she's talking about you don't have to be a street preacher, you know, or a full time evangelist in order to. Um, share your share your um, faith on a regular basis in order to obviously be salt in the world, out of the salt mm -hmm. shaker and into the world. Every believer is salt 
in the world, um, even if you're not called to be an evangelist. And this is what she says here is, let's remember that God's holiness in our lives can be expressed in joyful ways too. We do much to further the kingdom of God when people see that we know how to celebrate life. I think, unfortunately, Christians sometimes get this ho-hum um, mentality of, oh, you know, oh, Christians are all are such downers, or they're they're prudes, or they Christians don't know how to have fun, and um, and some, to be fair, some maybe are more overly overtly spiritually pious, and not you know, what's one of the first things Jesus did after his resurrection? He you know ate some fish with his disciples, like you know, right? And so celebrating life with joy is a big part of being a believer and not just spiritually anticipating heaven, but living even in the physical. Now we're going to have resurrected bodies. So, you know, we will, but it, it'll be sinless also. So joy in, in how we live is a big part of that. Any reflections on the quote before we move forward? I, I don't think so. Okay. I, mean, I think you kind of summed it up, summed up my thoughts. Okay. A book that Tanner and I wanted to discuss this week is How Joyful People Think. It's by Jamie Rasmussen. Um, eight Ways of Thinking That Lead to a Better Life. Um, and, boy, I'm getting lost here. So, uh, as an aside, I recently took a class on counseling theory. Not that I'm a therapist or a counselor. Disclaimer here, I, I am not registered uh, as a therapist, but one of the counseling theories is cognitive behavioral therapy. And, you know, basically this is a, a real um, pedestrian explanation of it is, you know, changing the way you think about your circumstances will change uh, how you respond and, and help you through that. Now, um, this isn't if there's a severe mental disorder or anything, but it, it does work basically. For example, you lose your job, you can have a negative outlook and say, oh no, that was such a good job. And now how will I ever find work? And, you know, this is terrible. Or you could say, huh, I have been offered an opportunity to do something different, to do something mm. new. What can I do now to support my family? What can I do now to um, help love my neighbor and, and love God? What What does the world need that I can offer? So that change in thinking makes you go from, um, you know, being down in the dumps to kind of being more uplifted and optimistic of, hey, great, I have a new opportunity. I have more free time. What can I do in my free time? And, mm -hmm. and what can I do in pursuit of another job or another career, etc.? So cognitive behavioral uh, approach to um, counseling theory, it, you know, changing the way you think about situations helps you to focus on a more optimistic outcome. Um, so this book, How Joyful People Think, is kind of along those lines, but it, it's a theological book, um, not so much a counseling book. Although in my own in my own opinion, I'm not I'm not a a pastor, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a therapist. Just in my own in my own opinion, um, I think this book could also work as a a couple therapy book, a marriage you know counseling book because. Huh. Um, just the way it forces you to think about things, you can think about your spouse in a different light and you can think about yourself in a different light and, and it helps really to engage um, optimistic thinking to help your marriage as well. I would say I, I, when I read it, I wasn't thinking about marriage, but that came out in my perception of the book. So um, before we dive into anything else, Tanner, 
that you want to hit on the book at all? Um, I think, well, going back to kind of a cognitive behavioral therapy yeah. and, and kind of what, what this book and how it relates and, and how I perceived part of it was it's, it's almost training yourself when you're given something that's, that's complicated and, and there, there are so many different ways that you can react, ways you can feel, ways you can think. It's about picking the ones that are going to be most constructive, right? Right. Um, so that was kind of my, like, like quick, succinct um, take on it. I'd never thought of it, I mean, obviously being single, and, like, I'd never thought of that in a marriage perspective. But having read the book, that's really interesting, and I can see how you would think that. And I, I agree. I think that would be, this would be great in like a marriage counseling situation. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think kind any of, kind of small group, any kind of small group study, um, whether or not it's a marriage counseling book or just, hey, let's get a couple of people together. What what are we going to do for our Wednesday night study or what are we going to do for our Tuesday afternoon study? Whatever kind of small group study you're doing, oh, sure. I would highly recommend this book uh, because it does encourage and challenge and... Um, just really help you to focus on, even if you already have an optimistic personality, you're a glass half full kind of person, I recommend this book. And if you're a glass half empty person, then I really guess I should recommend this book. Mm -hmm. So any other thoughts on the book? I was, uh, I think, you know, that's the, something else I disagree with. Um, I haven't thought of myself as a generally optimistic person. Okay. Um, given some of the circumstances I've, I've found myself in health wise and, and other things, um, I've been told I had a really positive and optimistic outlook. Mm -hmm. Um, but even then I, I, and I'll get delving a little bit into my personal life, which is fine, but I, I also see a cognitive behavioral therapist okay. and to just kind of help with some of the, the, the remnants of, of certain situations. Sure. But, um, even then, this was this book was also a great supplement to that. I would say, yeah. Um, in kind of because I would see a lot of um, a lot of crossover and a lot of overlap into maybe what I'd talked with with my counselor um, one week and then and then read a chapter in the book. I would see a lot of parallels in um, in in conversation slash reading. Um, but yeah, this is this would definitely be on more of a theological perspective which is also it's good because a lot of um general counselors can't really go there with you mm, right if you're if you're a believer so it's like they, they they're they're willing to walk you to a bridge but they're not really willing to cross the bridge with you it'd be kind of an, an analogy of a a non-biblical counselor who who says yeah we can talk about this but i really don't know what to do when we get into the religious side of things because i'm not a religious counselor or a Christian counselor or something like that. It, it, I, I don't know if that is true. Or not. I'm, I'm just thinking of an analogy. A, a counselor can always walk you to a bridge, but sometimes they can't necessarily walk across the bridge with you. I would kind of, okay. um, I would say it's not necessarily a matter of getting into anything that's religious or for lack of a better word. Sorry. No, that's all right. <laughs> but, um, I'd, I'd say it is kind of true in that sense of like walking to the bridge because, you know, um, a lot of counselors will say like, well, this is what, how I can tell you to respond 
or here are these strategies, mm-hmm. but they, you know, generally try to veer away from giving advice. This oh, is what okay. you should do. These are these are specifics more than here's a general how to respond. Um, here here are some here are some suggestions, some mm-hmm. strategies, but not this is. Well, here's what I think. Yep. So in, in that sense, I would say the analogy would still be would still be somewhat accurate. Okay. You know, I, I want to comment comment on something you said earlier about you saw some overlap between what you were reading in the book and what you had experienced in counseling. I think it's funny sometimes how God works with with overlaps and stuff like that. Last week, Ian and I talked about not being angry. How Christians Christians will get angry, but they shouldn't dwell on their anger or act on their anger. And after Ian and I did that podcast last week, I think three or four times I either ran into a YouTube video or read in a book or something like that where the the topic of Christians being angry came up or or, or God being slow to anger, stuff like that. Like just over and over and over again, I saw something about anger, 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 and angry. I'm like, what? Like we just talked about this last week and now I'm being like exposed to it all over the place. So I thought that's kind of funny how God knows what you need when you need it. (laughs) Right. He gives you that reinforcement and that sort of knock on the head. Hey, remember? Yep. That's very true. (laughs) So I want to hit on some of the the passage in the Bible that the book is based on. So again, the book, How Joyful People Think um, by Jamie Rasmussen, Eight Ways of Thinking That Lead to a Better Life. He bases it on Philippians chapter 4, um, specifically verses 8 and 9. But in order to bring some context in it, into it, I want to start with verse 4 and then and then go through through 9. Actually, I'll break it up a little bit, but starting in verse 4. So Philippians 4.4. 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And I always wondered, why did Paul have to repeat himself? Like, were the, were, were, were the, was the church in Philippi not very joyful? Or was he so full of joy that he really just wanted to express that? Like, to... rejoice always. Hey, guess what? I'll say it again. Rejoice. Um. So I, I think that's pretty fun that he decided to repeat himself on that. I'm sure there's a better theological or historical Greek <laughs> Greek grammar. I should ask Dr. James White. He probably knows why Paul repeated it or how it works out in Greek grammar. But uh, then verse 5, Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. A couple of things there. One, so you, being anxious will take away your joy. And, and Paul here, previously saying rejoice always, I'll say it again, rejoice, is now saying don't be anxious about anything. Uh, and then guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So I think, Tanner, you mentioned earlier in terms of happiness as a chemical reaction in this, a state of mind mm. type thing, whereas joy is, is in the heart. And so to guard our hearts and our minds is almost saying, I'm not going to let some pseudo or temporary chemical reaction rule me. Uh, at the same time, I'm not going to let my heart be ruled by darkness or sorrow. Uh, Paul is, is touching on both here. Guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Right. And then we get into Philippians 4, 8, and 9. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. 
The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. So meditate on these things. Another translation says, think of these things, dwell on these things. Basically, it, there's that cognitive behavioral therapy again, is stop thinking about trash. Don't be anxious about these things. Start thinking about things that are a good report, that are noble, that are pure. Think about those things. And I kind of like how Paul wrapped it up by saying, um, if you learned it from me, if you received it and heard it and saw it in me, these do. So Paul basically was, was leading by example. He wasn't just saying, do all these things, think about these things, meditate on this while I go over here and dwell on negative things. Mm -hmm. um, Paul was, Paul backed up his exhortation by saying, repeat after me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Any thoughts on that? Um, well, I guess we could just kind of get into, into kind of how the book is structured because I mean, Paul gives, he, he wrap, he wraps off a list and, uh, what Jamie does is, you know, go into a, he'll go into a very specific, um, you know, he'll dedicate a chapter to each thing that Paul lists, whatever. Yep. Yeah. Well, we can go over that really quick if we want. Um, sure. Chapter one, the power of a biblical whatever. So, you know, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely. So he actually starts by explaining whatever and, and what whatever means, which we know in our today's language, like whatever. Like, oh, whatever. Like, but he it's actually gave dismissive, us. dismissive. Yeah. Whereas... And he gave a really good biblical explanation of what whatever, the importance of whatever. Uh, chapter two, two ways of seeing. Chapter three, calm, cool, collected. Chapter four, thoughts that heal. Five, the myth of individual holiness. Six, Christian hedonists. Um, I'll, I'll stop really quick and, and throw, throw out there too. Um, what's his name? John Piper wrote a book called um, Don't Waste Your Life, in which he really touches on Christian hedonism. And basically hedonism is the idea of the only purpose of living is for pleasure. Um, and again, as we've talked about before, Christians should be known by their joy and their excitement uh, you know not that we pursue pleasure for pleasure's sake but that we find pleasure in god and in the word world that he gave us um so there's there's hedonism christian hedonist um chapter seven your life on a billboard eight a new kind of awesome nine your ace in the hole ten a peace-driven life so having listed the chapters i obviously stopped and gave more of a shout out any thoughts on the chapters that you Wanted to touch on or the book in general? Uh, I don't. I don't think so. Okay. Um, just that there is. There's a lot that goes into. I mean, you know, when each chapter is broken down, when we're examining two words or three words, you know. Yep. You know whatever is, you know. Yeah. XX. Um. There's a lot. To be said about just you know. And and I'm someone who's always like uh who gets who gets deep into things that I start missing the surface. Okay. So when you have, for instance, um whatever you know, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, like what does lovely mean? Yeah. Like are are we trying to dissect where the word came from in the context of Paul? Like that's great. And that's you know, that that helps us understand. Let's just talk about what is lovely. Mm-hmm. Um that hasn't think, given examples of things that are lovely. Right. Yep. And and then kind of breaking down like here's yeah, examples of, of what, what would be lovely. Yeah. Good. 
a forest for the trees kind of idea too too deep you're missing the surface stuff right like that kept uh, another one that I like in terms of, like you just said, the, the words and too deep into the meaning versus examples, stuff like that. But I'm going to take this opportunity to share. I like um, the one, whatever, uh, if there is anything praiseworthy. Other um, other translations say anything that is of good report. Uh, that In the Greek, it's the word euphemus, um, which is where we get our word euphemism. Um, E-U, you meaning mm-hmm. good. Um, and, and famous of report, good report. And I always like to think of it as in terms of you, famous, you famous, euphemous, euphemism. Um, so now we really can't take that in today's cultural context because there's a lot of famous people or infamous people who <laughs> are not necessarily of good report. Um, but the word, the word euphemous means good report. And so I you famous, man. Man, you just famous. Everyone like, likes to talk about you. You're a good report. <laughs> you got good report. Yeah, so anyway, I think that's fun in terms of understanding the language there. The, the, but I like to think well, two 2,000 years ago, that's the word but that Paul chose to use in his letter to the Church of Philippi. And today, in our cultural context, we could say, you famous, and, and laugh about it and think of what, what that actually means. But Paul, being um, led by the Holy Spirit was writing to a group of believers who were needing to learn how to interact with one another and express mm. their joy in all things. So, again, our language versus um, <laughs> Paul's context. That, and he's also, by the way, writing from prison. Right? Yeah, I'm which in, is a good point. <laughs> I'm in jail. Rejoice always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. And think about these things. And that's a great... I think you just said like a valid point or whatever. Like When you're in jail... You should probably, you, you, you have maybe a great opportunity to dwell in sorrow and depression and negativity, but you should probably think on these things. What is lovely? What is a good report, etc. So thoughts on that? No, I didn't, you know, I didn't think of maybe that would be sort of the, you know, obviously the source of Paul's writing was the Holy Spirit. Yep. But, um. You know, that's that's something he, he you're right, he would have time to dwell on that. <laughs> um Meanwhile in prison it's not like a postcard. The postcard's like meanwhile in dot 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 or wish you were here still yeah. like that. <laughs> so wish you were here, it's wish I was there. Um Paul's postcard from prison. Rejoice always, I'll say it again, rejoice. Any other thoughts? There was another quote in here in the book, if if you've got a thought and you want to shout it out real quick, I'll just find another quote. Um, a big part of Christian maturity is learning to let God keep you steady and to be ruled less and less by your emotions and circumstances. That's Twyla Paris. That wasn't the quote I was looking for, but I stumbled upon it and figured I'd read it. <laughs> so trusting God in circumstances is, is a way to find joy. Because the circumstances themselves will not always be joyful. Um, any thoughts, Tanner? Just it's it's really interesting in in Philippians that and and the book kind of touches on it is how much is covered under under those two verses. Oh yeah, it's like you could there's. So many things that, that, that we miss that we should be joyful in, mm-hmm. or should be joyful of, that we just have emotional reactions to, yeah. and then leave it instead of dwelling on it, that, that we sort of miss out on how much joy we should be 
experiencing. Okay. Yeah. Like we're we're point. almost leaving we're almost leaving our joy, you know, on the table because it's like, um, well, this is this is the standard or this is how I feel about it. Um, whatever. Moving on. You know, it makes me think too when you just said that of um, Psalm twenty three. My son's phone was ringing. I apologize to all of our two listeners tonight and all of you other listeners that will be joining us. God bless you. Thanks again for joining us. Uh, So uh, Psalm 23, David says, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. My cup is overflowing. You know, and and that's, that's the example that we look at when we think of optimism or pessimism. Glass half full or glass half empty. With God... The psalmist didn't say it's half full. He said it's overflowing. Mm. Um, I think as believers, we sometimes think that our cups are open to be filled only as much as we think they should be filled or only as much as we think they are capable of being filled. Like, well, it's two-thirds full. I'm optimistic and it's two-thirds full. I'm optimistic and it's three-quarters full. Or I'm optimistic and it's five-sixths full. Like, it's almost full. Mm-hmm. Instead of, man, life is tough. We're going through terrible circumstances. Look at the world all around us. And guess what? My joy is overflowing. Because it's not us who fill up our own cups. It's the Lord who overfills our cups. So the joy must be overflowing if it's from the Lord, mm-hmm. regardless of circumstances. And yes, the joy might be only half full if we're expecting to find it filled up elsewhere. Any closing thoughts? We're we're at tw- twenty six minutes. We're not quite to the thirty minute mark, but um, unless oh, you want to, okay. yeah, okay. Um, well, I can close us out and or turn transition to closing us out if you want. Yeah, go okay. ahead. Well, thank you guys for listening. Um, I hope you found some joy in the Lord. I was going to say joy in this podcast, but you shouldn't find joy in our podcast. You should <laughs> just happiness. Yeah, just and less boredom. Just less boredom and and happiness. Thanks, Tanner. That's good. So find joy in the Lord. Rejoice always. Paul said it twice, and he was in prison. So we have no excuses to not be filled with joy at least once. Uh, and if we have to repeat it, we will repeat it. So until next week, uh, like, subscribe, share. And Tanner, uh, just tell your friends if we if we haven't bored you, uh, come back and join us again. Yep, because we love talking to you guys. Yes, yes, sir, and and or misses out there. God bless you all.